This is the first one that I've recorded of a planned three right now. So oh, yes. it's, yeah, it's going to be a little, a little interesting. Oh, cool, man. Well, I'm honored to be part of it. Um, there may be some slight toddler noises. Um, That's okay. They're I'm cute assuming. noises. <laughs> they are. My two-year-old has. He has. Uh, his name's Felix, and he doesn't usually fall asleep in the same place too often. <laughs> so right now, he's sitting by me on the couch while I do this call and drink some garbage Cabernet. So he's just gonna <laughs> be my little mascot, making little interruptions here and there. I I mean my favorite uh my favorite sparkling wine or whatever from mimosas is like a six dollar trader joe's thing so yeah man cheap one sometimes the best yeah man it's it's hitting the spot especially tonight hopefully it doesn't make me too sassy or or just the right level of sassy for what we're talking about i mean i hope (laughs) it makes you sassy that sounds great it it will Uh, (laughs) i i didn't realize it but i actually cracked a stout and oh good and this stout is 12%, so I'm trying to drink it really slowly. Nice. Um, <laughs> nice. I love boozy stouts. That's kind of my jam. It's good. I just uh, didn't realize it was going to be, you know, as high of ABV as I. Yeah, we're just going to be like throwing things and swearing, and it's going to be crazy. I'm yeah. excited about it. This is Story Feast Conversations featuring Krista Pons. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm very excited for you all to hear this episode. Um, It will be a two-parter. I'll explain a little bit about why at the end. Um, I just want to give you a little bit of a forewarning that there were some technical issues. um, So there's like some cutting out and everything that happened. Um, I am learning how to make a podcast while doing this. So I hope that you can bear with me and uh learn a little bit while well, i learn a little bit and please 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 enjoy she got the whole night we can do this for 12 hours no i'm just kidding um, but so the the point of this podcast um i was kind of like racking my brain for a while um at one point i wanted to do just like an unapologetically like cynical podcast <laughs> which uh that was like more at a time when i was a little more bitter um in yeah. general and a little yeah. more cynical in general um mm-hmm. but it's kind of like morphed into this idea um where i basically am asking um people that i know um usually people that are in some kind of a position where they are are doing something that create like that adds to or helps create culture um mm. And so, like, naturally, I thought of you because you are a creator um, by trade. And Mm -hmm. um, anyone that is, uh, you know, a touring artist uh, does create a, like, uh, kind of culture naturally with uh, the people that come to your concerts and the people that um, follow you online and um, listen to your music and stuff like that. So I thought that you'd be a great person to talk to when it comes to... um, what it's like to experience culture and like help create it. Um, and like, what are like the spiritual and ethical implications of it? Oh, wow. I'm honored that you think I'm one of those people. I'm going to try to 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm honored and, um, definitely sounds like some stuff I'm, I'm fascinated with in general and very, very happy to dive deep in talking about. Yeah. Awesome. I, yeah, you're definitely one of the first people that I thought of. And I, I mean, it gives us an excuse to finally hang out, you know? <laughs> yes. And cause we've been wanting to forever. And it's, it's funny how many things I've knocked off my bucket list during this quarantine, such as like, oh, we need to catch up with that friend. Now we're, we're stuck alone. Let's get on our phones and do it. This has been, it's been a unique um, opportunity. I don't want to date the podcast too much by talking about what state of quarantine we're in, but. Um, oh no. It, yeah. I think that this will be expected for a while. Um, yes. I think a lot of content creators are going to have a lot of, a lot of stuff that they made while they were, you know, staying at home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, I guess to start things off, um, I would love to know a little bit about like your history, um, with just like music and how that turned into what you're doing today. Um, wow. I know oh. it's like a big question. So if you need like some smaller questions to kind of like, uh, guide us through your story a little bit. Oh man. Well, I, um, I am a storyteller. So if I wax, you know, very verbose, just let me know if you need me to chill. But, um, music was a big part of my family life. Um, my dad, he's a guitarist and singer and, um, he always, he always served as a volunteer music minister in a Catholic church, like for as, as long as I can remember. Um, and but he would never accept payment like i think one person like one church tried to pay him and he always just gave the stipend back um but he was also like a bar musician in the 80s like played in like a cover band and um really great guitarist and singer and never really got a chance to do it as a career and my grandfather um his dad uh, had this amazing like kind of Johnny Cash baritone and so like there was lots of living room singing at my grandmother's house <laughs> um and one of my so I always wanted to pick up the guitar because of my dad and just thought it was such a cool instrument just want to get my hands on it and um one interesting part of my story that not I mean I tell it quite a bit now but um many of my listeners didn't know this till recently it was like I was not a singer um at all um voice came way later for me like um around town i mean as a in some circles i'm kind of known as like a vocalist and a writer but that that was definitely not the first gifting for me um because i was terrified of singing and like there's kind of this pressure to do it because my dad and grandfather could sing um and uh but i really wanted to play the guitar um, but I kind of just had it spoken on to me, like, you are going to be the kind of person that figures out melody and words. And like, I didn't understand why family members kept saying this because I had family members that sang and played, but nobody who wrote. Um, and okay. for, some, for some reason, everyone was just under the impression that I was going to like receive the torch and then make it a much bigger torch, <laughs> you know? Huh. Yeah. Like, and that was just spoken on to me. Even my grandmother, I had one of my favorite memories is sitting watching my 
I, I used to watch this like Sarah McLachlan concert DVD. Um, I have no shame about my love for Queen Sarah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> my grandma would say, what do you want to be when I grow up? And I would point to the hired gun guitar player. And I'd be like, I want to be that guy. Like that guy gets to wear a cool shirt and have a cool pedal board and play the right note at the right time, and collect $400 and go home. And my grandma was like, you know, no one cares about that guy. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> you need to figure out how to sing because nobody cares about guitar players. They're useless. And I was like, grandma, come on. And wow. But it stuck with me for some reason. Yeah. And um, I ended up in Grand Rapids. I joined like a, a Christian hardcore-ish band. There was a big like, kind of Christian hardcore scene in Grand Rapids. Um, that makes sense to me, knowing Grand Rapids. Yeah. I mean, and if you follow the like the Tooth and Nail labeled podcast, which is a very fun podcast, you can look at kind of that interesting subculture of people that were like straight edge and uh super punk rock or hardcore dressed all in black had tattoos but were also like very staunchly religious it was a very interesting movement um hmm. and so i was in a band that's kind of actually started out as like almost like a rap core like a melodic rap core kind of thing oh, um, interesting. and then it went sort of like in the direction of something like finch or um Haste the day type of thing, like kind of metal, like melodic metal, hardcore. Um, I played in a screamo band, and then I ended up beginning to perform as a solo artist, kind of by accident. Like I was mentioning before, I was really into like Sarah McLaughlin, Tori Amos, like Lilith Fair type of stuff. Okay. Um, and I was really into like acoustic, softer music, and um i made a couple demos kind of in like a dashboard confessional kind of vein um because i don't really know how to use my voice i just knew how to overuse it at that time <laughs> um <laughs> but those demos got some traction on myspace and i started getting better booking inquiries than my bands were getting um like i was i went from like just not being much of a singer at all to like playing open mic nights here and there and kind of being awful in front of people to try to get good. And then just started getting bookings. Like I ended up like our big venue in Grand Rapids, the intersection hit me up to like open for some decent artists. And I was like, wow, I guess I got to figure out how to perform. And um, so kind of tackling this like acoustic guitar and voice thing was like kind of a, a quest to keep up with what I wanted to do as a writer. Yeah. And, um, but then once I started doing it, I got pretty hooked and, um, um, I did end up going to community college for in Grand Rapids for recording and classical guitar. And I took classical voice lessons and then that was a great experience. And I transferred to university of Michigan to study performing arts technology, which is like a recording degree with composition emphasis and, um, when I got here, honestly, I kind of stylistically started over. I went like, I kind of, like I said, I spent like most of my career trying to figure out like what my voice was as a singer and a writer. And I kind of like mm -hmm. used that move to kind of recreate and, um, then kind of started the, the journey that I'm on now, kind of this dark folk thing. Um, and, uh, 
and around that time that I was um, graduating, I also ended up, um, this will be a fun part of the story. We can veer off as much as little as you want, but I ended up um, getting asked by a, a friend asked me to start playing guitar with him at a church that he was leading worship at a Catholic church. Okay. And uh, that place ended up grooming me for a job and I became a volunteer. I eventually became like um, the music minister guy. And um, that what's interesting is as of yesterday, I just resigned that post. Wow. Uh, Yes, I've been doing it for about a decade at that place. And um, literally yesterday, um, had the conversation that I was stepping down. Um, and this has been something that you've wanted to do for a little while? Yes, um, I, I will go into it. If there's anything I can't answer, I'll let you know. Because there was some like, there were, I mean, the reason I'm leaving now is because it makes sense. Like, train, right. strangely, um, I'm busier than ever in the in this like interesting like kind of coronavirus lockdown. Like, I have yeah. a bu- bunch of online guitar students. I have tons of production work coming in, and my bills are low. And so yeah. I'm in this interesting spot where it was just time to do it, and. Um, but I've always had a, a very interesting relationship with being a singer songwriter and being like a worship leader because it's um, the, I don't know, the, the whole Christian versus secular discussion honestly just makes me nauseous and bored um, because like, to me it's just really clear like okay like we have this very okay music that is made for church and it sells really yeah. well that's what makes it christian <laughs> like right it's, uh right then you got stuff like kendrick lamar and Sufjan stevens and bon Iver and like you know some of the you know stuff that pu- you know pushes the envelope that co-ops spiritual content and also is honest like that's the stuff that I think really, you know, changes the world uh, and does good. But that's yeah, a whole, whole other discussion. Um, but yeah, I mean, how how in general do you think? In general, in general, what do you think makes church music different from other genres? Like, I, I, I know that there can be like different genres of church music, but, um. Like specifically, like, like a like a church service, like music that you'd mm. play at a church service. Um, like, what 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 do you think makes that unique? And if like anything, is there anything that makes it better? Wow, that's a great question. So I don't believe anything makes it better okay. inherently in any way. Um, I think that. Um, um, it depends who's doing it really but um yeah. i think if you look i, I mean honestly i'm always gonna love him um like i'm actually probably no matter where i land 
um, tradition wise, practice wise, you know, what I'm doing on Sunday morning on any given day, I'm probably going to still make like a hymns record. Okay. Um, I love those melodies. And most of them are actually like old folk melodies that were co-opted and, you know, used as catechesis, you know, used as a, as a, as a way to help people memorize like a theological idea. And yeah. Um, and hymns, I mean, like, if you like, I mean, like, Oh God, beyond all praising is like the planets by Gustav Holst. It's an amazing melody. You got like, um, be thou my vision. That's a super ancient melody also. And, um, those melodies are just great. They just work. They're beautifully shaped and they're super cool. Um, I think yeah. that if you look at stuff like modern worship, um, I think it's, it's a great, okay, buddy, lay down. Um, better. No, it's, uh, if you look at stuff, like, I mean, Bethel or Hillsong, it's, um, there's something satisfying about it something that works you know those big drums those big synth pads those big guitar tones those like amazing soaring vocals those completely unmemorable non-melodies <laughs> um, right yeah i mean it's it's a thing it's a it's a product it's a genre piece but i mean thankfully i don't get this as much like i used to have people come up to me like trying to talk about worship music as if like that's god's music like that's like the mm -hmm. stuff that if i really had a fruitful relationship with god that's the kind of stuff i would be making and i would always yeah. be like guys you got to be kidding me like everyone who makes this stuff made a real you know some people genuinely love doing it and some people just made a really depressing career choice <laughs> you yeah. know um because it is a way to survive and make a living because like there's um, a market for it there is and i'll tell you it's a very unforgiving market like i'm super grateful that my fan base is <sighs> diverse mm -hmm. you know because like i definitely have a lot of christian fans and what's great is they're they're amazing like they're the type of people that like would go to church or to mass or whatever and they, they know like oh it's our buddy chris who sings and then they'll like go to my shows and they'll hear my stories and they'll hear the stuff I talk about, which is not pretty sometimes. And they'll like hear me swear a bunch on stage and just be myself and laugh and play my songs. And, and they don't care. They just get like that I'm a real person and that I have something to say that simply cannot be said at a church service right. or, or like a traditional church service. And, and then I also have lots of fans that are like, I have a lot of queer fans. I have a lot of, um, you know liberal fans progressive fans and and conservative fans and i have like fans who are completely hippie i have fans that are like atheist or agnostic and and very you know it's i'm really yeah. grateful that there's a big spread because i would never want to have to deal with having a primarily christian following because if you like look at artists like like for instance like like audrey assad like if you read the comment feeds on her stuff it is brutal because how, like Christians on the internet are scary, man. Like mm -hmm. just as like, as, as a group, I'm not trying to like single anybody out, but like, Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. If, if that's the main demographic that you pander to, you have to get ready for some really wacky shit. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'm digressing a bit because of the Cabernet, but <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, 
it's an, it's a career choice I would never be able to live with. I think that makes sense to me. I mean, from what I understand of uh, like you, I don't know you that well, but it seems like um, like what you liked, at least from like our few conversations, what you liked about your music, um, like working in like a church was the way that you could connect to people and the way that you could like bring art to the church. And that was like kind of mm. um that was anyway what seemed like the 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 bright spot of that. I don't know. I maybe I'm assuming too much. No, that's a good point. There is some of that. Um there yeah. There definitely is a lot of that. I mean, I enjoyed things like Holy Week where I could lean into the drama, Good Friday. I mean, and that was a, you know, stuff like, what's funny is I used to promote like Good Friday and Ash Wednesday to non-Christians because I'd be like, hey, this is just a cool thing to see. Like reflect on your own mortality and think about the death of God. It's crazy. Like, I mean, we can do yeah. a lot with that as musicians. And I love just the drama of it. And I did love like, you know, the idea, this kind of, you know, evolved idea of like liturgy being a community, being themselves in front of the divine, like, you know, it should look and feel and smell like the community that it came from. So like, I kind of sound like Ben Howard or Damien Rice and I play with a cellist and with a harmony vocalist. And so like, that's what church is going to sound like. And I thought that was really cool. Um, That idea, that big ideal, I'm kind of over it now um yeah just like i'm like okay this is cool this is not gonna save the world this isn't gonna save my community it's gonna be a bomb but i really i kind of i do still agree with that idea but i've i've sort of now i've kind of shifted and maybe centered a little more and i've realized that like what i have to give to the world is just like showing up and singing church music better than average you know what i what i have to do is actually communicate my story and what i've got going on and because there's just things that you can't get across with church music there's there's a a level of depth and a level of like the ugliness and the raw dirt of the human experience that you just can't shove into worship music it's it's just not gonna work yeah um that's just frankly not what it's for um that's it's interesting that you bring that up because I want to say that my favorite when I was still listening to worship music and everything like that, um, the the artist that I liked the most was John Mark McMillan. I thought you were, I love him too. I thought you were going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. He like has always, it's always felt like he has tried to bring as much rawness as possible but any of his songs that were like bigger and hits were always sanitized when like someone else took it on. Um, like that Chris Tomlin version of how, 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 he, how loved, he loves. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The sloppy wet versus unforeseen. Yeah. I honestly think unforeseen is a little rapey. Um, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once, I don't want foreseen kiss on a sloppy one. Thank you. That's very planned out. <laughs> right a sloppy a sloppy wet one can be a uh, mutual unforeseen is usually not yeah how about a sloppy wet consensual 
Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> Worship music will get there. Yeah. That and it's interesting because too, like the I, I remember listening to a live version of that song. Um, and he just like breaks down crying um because he sings a verse about his friend Steven. Um yes. it, like who he wrote that song for. And so yeah, I'm not a Christian anymore, right? Um in yeah. the traditional sense. Uh like I still dig Jesus and I still think that a lot of good things come from um the New Testament and the Old Testament and a variety of different religious um texts. But uh I think the thing that always drew me to John Mark McMillan was his uh his rawness. Um mm. But, um, really, yeah, I just like for a long time, even when I was still Christian, I was just like getting sick of worship music. Um, yeah. and there were like very few artists that I could listen to that like didn't just like make me, I don't know, just like bored or like roll my eyes or whatever. Um, which is crazy because I used to be so into worship music that I would like cry and, um, like I would like weep during some like some songs and just like go crazy and like be one of those people that um like you know would jump up and down and not like in a in a charismatic sort of way but um in a uh you know I was just like re- I just like really felt the music um so it's like interesting to like think about um those things after I've gone through this kind of deconstruction um, mm. because those feelings were real. And like, I was feeling some kind of like unity with um, uh, at the very least the universe, um, you know, um, and the people around me, like the community and um, some of it, sure. Like you can say is manipulation um, by um, like the music, but like we do things and we like willingly engage in, some sort of manipulation right like if we go see like a marvel movie and we're like super into marvel movies like we want to be manipulated into like feeling certain things because everything that we're watching is you know not true there's truth that come out in them and that's like essentially i think what worship music the the really talented worship artists are able to do is they're able to catch truth um and like give it to us in a way that does not make us feel um, like we don't want to be engaging in it. Yeah, I mean, I used to have like a much more cynical read on the manipulation thing because all music does like emotionally bend people. That's kind of what it's for. Yeah, and and for me, even like I mean, there's times I'll cry during. A worship song um even if i'm even though i feel very emotionally disconnected from that kind of stuff right now and um but i think i wish that more people yeah. would, would just see it as um i don't know maybe i'm just maybe i'm too cynical but like i wish that it could be seen for what it is like like as a genre piece and as um it's funny i feel like i wish that people could just like consume it in a more self-aware way like 
you know, this is, this stuff is like pop music. It's meant to give you certain emotional and physiological responses, you know, um, just like, you know, a great pop song is going to make me want to shake my butt and move my pelvis and like, you know, call somebody, you know, like, or it's going to make, you know, it's going to make you want to like do something stupid or like drink too much with an ex or whatever, you know, like, you know, worship music is doing that same thing. It's like cracking into the subconscious and, you yeah. know, trying to get you to, to crack open. And I think that doesn't necessarily mean that it is a higher art form than anything else i honestly think this it's almost like an opiate it's like designed to just give you that fix as quickly as possible and with as little resistance as possible and without the listener doing any work that's what's frustrating to me about it is that i like music that makes that draws the listener in and grabs them and pulls them and pushes them but also asks them to think like i mean if you like like when I first listened to, to Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar, I had listened to it like 30 times in a row to just like crack through everything that was happening in the storytelling. Hmm. And I was like, this is high, high Christian art, if there ever was any right here. Um, it's like vulnerable and raw. It's like prayerful and it's ugly and it's some of it's depraved and some of it's like depressed and some of it's like really ugly journal entries and some of it's like anthemic and it's like such a private personal confession like if that stuff is this like if anything like makes me feel more like connected to god or Jesus, it's like stuff that like really does tap into truth in a more i don't, I don't know in a more brutal and honest way because yeah. i feel like like with worship music like just the limit of the vocabulary in that stuff it's like what can this really do for me when like again the vocabulary is so limited um like there's like just like a handful of like phrases and motifs that like really ever get used um anyway i'm sorry i feel like i'm sounding like such a hater because actually do you think this this work has value but um... i don't i don't think that you sound like a hater i i I think i i get what you're saying um yeah i think so one of the one of the issues that i had with worship music um and christian music in general was this uh like when i when i would talk about it intellectually as a christian i i would bring up the like milk and meat verse right where like it kind of felt like a lot of worship music was um people just uh drinking the milk right and not having to really chew on anything um and when you were talking about pimple butterfly um that's the name of the song right um it uh like having to listen to it multiple times that feels like a chewing um, yes. whereas like a song where you can just like listen to once and just like feel good about yourself. Like that's like more milk, right? It's just like yeah. easy, goes down easy, digests easily, unless you're lactose intolerant. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's, 
Yeah, it was just like when I was in services where people were listening to and like playing worship music, um, and I would just like see everybody just like, you know, kind of like swaying or like being happier or like whatever, like or people posting like worship music lyrics. Like, I don't, I, I don't hate them for it. I don't, I'm not mad at them for enjoying something. Like, I want people to be able to enjoy what they enjoy. Um, yeah, and specifically for people to enjoy what they enjoy and not hate on other people to for enjoying what they enjoy. Um, but I, like it, it felt to me like uh, some of the people that like I noticed some of my friends and some of the the people that I knew um, never moved beyond uh, like surface. Um, a surface level understanding or like a surface level involvement or engagement, um, like moving from milk to like meat. You mean like in their lives as well, like outside of musical consumption? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. a lot of people would talk about, uh, like it was like what church leaders would try to like stretch the most of like not being a, like, um, Sunday Christian or whatever, but being like a Christian, like seven days of the week, 24 hours a day. Um, that was like, that felt like the, 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 the biggest stretch for people. Like that's like what their ultimate, excuse me, goal was to, um, get people to, uh, engage fully, right? Like their whole lives. But to me, like as like someone who grew up a Christian, who like went to church multiple times a week between youth group and like Sunday morning service, um, going to two different churches. So I'd, I'd sometimes go to church four times a week um, and loved it. I loved every second of it. I, it was where I belonged. I like understood the rules of social interactions there. Um, like it was it was easy for me. And when I started to like realize like in my life, what was the next step um, and then the next step and then the next step and the next step, um, I was realizing that it felt as if um, people were very content to understand the rights and the wrongs, like a very binary situation um, when it came to their beliefs and like then stop um and not consider how do these things change like given the context like mm-hmm. people who say um anyone who confesses with their with their mouth that Jesus Christ is lord will is truly saved right like there are people that believe that you have to make that confession prayer to be saved right yeah. so like what does that mean for someone who like literally can't speak like someone who's mute um so like that's just like taking it like oh like one step further and then like to take it another step further it's like what about people in other countries in like third world countries or people that you know lived long before the time of jesus right like what do you say for them and so for me it was like I just felt like I needed to go deeper and deeper and like understand the different contexts of how I'm applying these rules and 
um, realizing that these rules really don't apply in every context. And therefore, like, you can't say that a universal God, a universal savior is truly universal if all the rules that have been applied to them this far um, can't apply in universal contexts. Um, and so that was really the beginning of deconstruction for me. Yeah, I mean, this is going to take us down some rabbit holes, but I mean, are you, you've got to be aware of Richard Rohr. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the homie, the number one homie, Richard Rohr. Right. Because um, to me, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out where I land. Because like, what, what, I, what I really appreciated for a while about sort of my, what I thought was a rediscovery of Catholicism Catholicism is supposed to have a lot more. I don't know. I'm confused about because like Catholicism. I mean, in many ways, it's like the, the whole timeline of Christianity is just fascinating as hell. Because like, if you look at um the the refer like I love Reformation history. I think it's fascinating because. It's like watching a bad soap opera that involved pirates. Um, I want to say, like, literally one of the, um, like, the Anglican Church split off from the Catholic Church was like, because I, I think that the Catholics tell it one way, the Anglicans tell it another. But I know that there literally was, like, a pirate ship kidnapping a pope. Like, that's the kind of stuff that was going on. Like, it was all like politics and Christendom, you know, like yeah. a lot of Christians don't get the difference between Christianity and Christendom and all the, you know, some of the evils that have happened from like a church state and from like, honestly, from freaking missionary work, you know, and like trying to spread, you know, white Jesus culture to indigenous peoples. You know, there's a lot of stuff that a lot of Christians don't really want to stomach. But one thing I really appreciated about Catholicism was that it is supposed to be this both and mm -hmm. religion it is supposed to be um, a little more accepting of like, it's built into our creed. Like, um, I don't know if it's in the, the creed or the, I'm sorry, I'm sorry if I'm blanking here. You may have to edit this out. But, like there's a lot of stuff built into like literally liturgical Catholic texts that are like, uh, like on Easter vigil, we pray for, you know, there's this like big prayer where you pray for, pray for the world, you pray for the sick, you pray for world leaders, you pray for the holy souls in purgatory, and you pray for, um, you, we pray for the dead that didn't, or we pray for people that don't, in in hopes that through doing what is right, they end up aligning themselves with him, right? Um, there's this idea like, do you really need to like speak the friggin' salvation prayer, or do you need to actually like speak with your life that you are aligning with the stuff that Christ taught, and therefore basically signing on to this thing with your actions? Yeah. Of course, the problem with that is Catholics never emphasize those beautiful gray areas because then the question becomes like okay well if i can align myself to the ideas of this jesus person by just the way i live and by seeking goodness and truth and loving my neighbor then do i really need this church to tell me that i'm okay do i need this priest to tell me i'm forgiven do i need yeah. to follow all these rules about 
control and shit. And that makes Catholics very uncomfortable. And so we have like extreme black and whites and like tons of grays. Right. But we de-emphasize the grays in an extreme way, especially in the States. And I'll tell you, especially in Southeast Michigan, Mm. Um, like in the States, like Catholicism has become much more of like Protestant evangelicalism and much more fundamentalist. And so like, people like Richard Rohr are, are, are like, he's like definitely considered a heretic in many circles. Um, oh yeah. And like, I can't talk about him at work job, but like, you know, uh, I'm sure that if I brought him up in like a staff meeting, I'd probably get some looks, you know? Okay. So this is going to be the part of the show where I break it down a little bit. It's not always going to be the same thing, but there is always going to be a middle kind of, I guess where it kind of breaks up the show a little bit. Um, consider it a intermission. Um, typically, I would probably put a, a word from a sponsor here. Um, I would maybe talk about something that's happening in my life. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, but you can just kind of expect this in the future. Uh, right now, I just want to kind of showcase um, my Patreon supporters uh, because I wouldn't be able to... Um, do some of the cool shit that I'm able to do um, without the support from them. Um, I was able to use some of the money that uh, people supported me with um, to uh, hire Graham Lowe of Pajamas to record the music for this podcast. Um, That is, by and large, uh, the greatest contribution um, to this because it just, I don't know, I think it just elevates it and makes it so much better. Um, so a shout out to my Patreon supporters. And if you want to support this podcast, uh, financially, you can find that page, um, at patreon.com slash story feast. Uh, please don't feel pressure to donate. Um, every little bit helps, but I would much rather you just continue to listen and enjoy. Um, so thanks again for listening. Thanks again to my Patreon supporters. And, uh, with that, we'll resume the episode. Catholicism is weird because like a lot of these deconstructionist ideas and these more poetic ideas are kind of baked into like monastic Catholicism. But as a culture, especially in the States, it's like totally run. It's run by the right winger. And so you can't really, you know, the moment you're on the fringe, you're kind of out. Yeah. Uh, That's interesting. I, it's interesting because my last experience with church before I kind of um, decided it just like wasn't for me anymore um, was mm-hmm. like a very progressive church where like Richard Rohr was like uh, like referenced and like quoted in like our staff meetings. Um, and nice. uh, and my issues with and that it was helpful for me because my deconstruction of my issues with the church were um not related to at the end were not just related to like theology right or like accepting the mystery or um the both and as you mentioned um which is like what a lot of people uh since i i posted um my beliefs on on Facebook for my friends and family to see to be on the same page yeah. as me. Um, I, 
like I've gotten that a decent amount where people have been like, well, have you like considered that like it can be like a both and thing? Like, have you considered that it could be like embracing the mystery or it can be, um, you know, something where uh, like God can offer peace or like give you purpose or direction or like something like that in the midst of like your chaos or your like um deconstruction or something like that and for me it was like of course i've considered that like i like i wouldn't post something like that like openly for you know half my family um luckily my family is like relatively um progressive and uh accepting Mm -hmm. of all beliefs and um at least from you know my interactions uh with them like they could have private thoughts that are different um yeah but it it feels like something that where that mystery is important and for me the mystery just became less a specific religion and more of a like all-encompassing lifestyle like there's a lot about Mm. life that i'm never gonna know and the mystery is like where i like kind of live in that and i and Mm. i never said um that like i don't believe it's possible for god to exist anymore or for like christianity to be true i just am not limiting myself to that belief system anymore Mm. yeah dude that's fascinating i mean i don't want to pick you apart but it actually still sounds pretty like christian universalist adjacent to me (laughs) but (laughs) i'm not in your head but i mean it's um i think we've all I, i think for me like a big question is like, is it useful? Mm. And I think that a lot of people are going to find that like American Christianity is useful. Um, I think that, and I, I piss a lot of people off saying this, but I'm like, you can't, it's like, like imagine this, imagine you have a girlfriend crazy about her and, or, or boyfriend or whatever. Like you have a partner and, um, the intimacy is on fire. The chemistry is great, and you're just getting butterflies when you're a person. But you don't know what their favorite. Um, you don't know their birthday. You don't know what their favorite bands are. You don't know what their guilty pleasure music was, and you don't. She takes her coffee. Mm. What the fuck kind of partner are you? Like right. Um, and so to me, I'm just like, hey, you can't divorce Christ from his teachings. So you can't like say that you're super in love with people are like, oh, truth is a person and you got to know him and that person is Jesus. I'm like, yeah, but you can't divorce him from his teaching. And when I say that, I'm like, you can't divorce Christ from what he stood for. Mm-hmm. People be like, be like, oh, you don't like Jesus. You just like ideas. You don't know the person like I do. And I'm like, okay. Um are you loving like a Jesus in your head? Are you loving the person that said really difficult stuff and didn't condemn the people that we expected him to condemn, hung out with the people that we didn't expect him to hang out with. And we don't have any evidence that their lives and morals actually changed and pulled a 180 that day. And he was like absolutely hated and despised and then eventually fucking killed by the conservatives of the day. So this whole like modern marriage between like, american conservatism and christianity is like it's totally false because like all these you know we got these like more politically conservative christians that would say like um 
uh, that, you know, that, um, how do I say this? Oh, this is big in the Catholic world. They'd be like, oh, I'm not gonna, there's this big Catholic movement. I will not comply. It was like, I won't like, I don't want my tax dollars to go towards like birth control for teenagers. Right. Like I'm, I, um, because the Catholic church is against birth control but what's funny to me is it's like okay catholics are against catholics using birth control you can't go policing baptists and lutherans and agnostics because they don't have the same reading of natural law that you do yeah and they're like no i it's my beliefs it's my beliefs i can't allow this and i'm like no christ directly dealt with this problem before someone brought up a denarius and said you know you know should i pay my taxes because they wanted Jesus to be a political revolutionary. He says, give me that coin. Whose face is on this? Render unto Caesar. Like, it's his, it's like, you have to exist in this system. But he basically, like, if the, my reading on that is, yo, religious people, don't be dicks. Like, you exist in this society. You have to be a functioning member of the society. Yes, as um, Orthodox Jews at the time, as you know, as practicing Jews, like yes, you you are sojourners, and there's stuff that Caesar wants to do that you don't want your money going, but you still have to play ball. That was my reading on that, and it's like, I'm like, guys, Jesus already dealt with this one, mm-hmm. right? Like, he didn't come to overthrow, um, the government. He didn't come to like tell you that you don't have to pay taxes on shit that you don't like. He came to tell you that you have to get comfortable with people that you're uncomfortable with. Yeah. He, he was like a very, I don't know. Like I see him as a very political figure, but he wasn't trying to become a replacement for the system. He was trying to, um, he was trying to teach people to live well within it because that system is always going to exist. Yeah, dude, that's my exact reading on it. And which is why I think I tend much more, again, much more socially progressive than most of my religious brothers and sisters is because my reading on my role in the system and how at peace I'm supposed to be with it, like it's just yeah. different than theirs, you know? It feels like conservatives or like uh like uh, more right-winged people um use that same verse when it comes to talking to like liberals or um like progressives that are christian um but they don't like to like look at it when you know there's a, a liberal or progressive president or governor or like whoever right so like to me it's like this <laughs> no, like nobody it. likes no. <laughs> uh to like be living under a system where they just like fundamentally disagree with some of the way that it operates but like from my perspective it seems more to me that liberal minded people tend to be uh like proactive when they're in a system that they don't like. I, I see more change coming from grassroots. The whole thing behind Bernie Sanders felt like something that was 
fully grassroots. It was mobilizing people, not like uh, manipulating systems to get things to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And that's and that actually is a good kind of segue into the the whole idea of culture, right? Because what is what is the difference between the culture on the left and the culture on yeah. the right? Um, it's really easy to just say like, oh, the left is all like one amorphous blob, right? And the right is all like, you know, religious. Oh, and then the right. Um, assholes that don't believe in science but like that's obviously not true um like there's subculture within everything um i have very uh yeah i mean uh, not super close Mm. to them anymore it's just hard when you don't see them anymore but i have a lot of friends from like all of that uh the school that i went to for a time before i dropped out and uh some of them are like very conservative um, and then some of them are just like a little conservative um, and they have like different thoughts. Like I have like a friend who um, like, so for example, I have friends who are extreme like Trump supporters. Um, pretty much anything that is progressive is called socialism. You know, that kind of, mm. um, that kind of mindset, but they like are listening. Like they're, they're paying attention to the stay at home stuff right like they are not trying to like go out right now and say like oh like the science is warped or like doesn't matter or blah 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 you know um yeah whereas like there are definitely people on the right who do that but then at the same time like i i know that there are people on the left who um while they like agree and like listen or whatever will not think that some of the things apply to them um, because because they're being because they're being safer or something when that really doesn't mean anything yeah (sighs) yeah man i mean when party line stuff comes out around a crisis it gets so weird i mean i can i can attest to that i mean um uh, Arch the Catholic Archdiocese of Detroit, um, which is, you know, they're a diocese of the Catholic Church. They're not known for being like a bastion of you know progressive thought. You know, they're like, they're here to like maintain the the big thing. You know, um, but they they are the Archdiocese of Detroit, and so they were like, yeah, we need to be extremely cautious congregational singing is not permitted they were bringing in all this scientific data from about how like the singing voice is fundamentally different from the speaking voice it disperses droplets from the lungs very differently in different distances and so if you look at this science something like congregational singing is actually extremely dangerous right now it's one of the dumbest ways to spread covid i mean choir choir rehearsals spread this shit like wildfire and so archdiocese of detroit came out saying no singing you can have one cantor, people got to wear masks and not sing, write music that's not singable. And what's funny is in many churches, people are just uncomfortable because they feel like their freedoms are being encroached upon or their, their ability to pray is being encroached upon. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I notice in the Catholic world is that Catholics are, Catholics are much more attached to like um, getting to do their stuff. 
like getting to go to the Eucharist on Sunday, getting to go to confession. And I'm not calling this a bad thing. I'm saying like I'm observing it and I don't only roll with Catholics. So I sometimes observe it just as a, even though it's like, it's my tradition, I still sometimes observe it like an outsider because I'm just trying to like understand where everyone's coming from. Right. And, and so for a lot of Catholics, there's all this extreme discomfort of like, I can't go do my thing that I have to do because they're really sold out on just doing their Catholic stuff. And that's one thing that I've kind of struggled with because I'm, again, that whole idea of don't divorce Christ from his, his message. Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure if you believe in a benevolent God, and a benevolent you can skip Sunday for a few months and it's going to be okay. Um, yeah no 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 like wrath is going to come and i think for some people it is like a genuine expression of love and like what they want to do but but like um and even my mom my mom's super devout so she's like i want the right to go to church like i want to take that risk and i'm i i keep having to sneak in like hey it really isn't about you it is about the people that are immunocompromised that you could accidentally passively give this right. to. that's who you got to be thinking about right now very tricky very tricky to be gracious <laughs> right now. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because I, there is something that I have noticed, and and this is def, this is by no means uh, universal to um, any like religious community, uh, but I have noticed that that there is kind of this like subset of people who are not like do not naturally think outside of themselves um and Mm. and that is like it's not it's not necessarily that they are selfish people um it's more that they like don't exercise that muscle of like empathy unless that person is like sitting right in front of them Mm, Um, mm -hmm. and it's and it's just it's like i don't know like maybe it's like an imagination thing like it's easy for me to think like oh i'm not gonna go out like i don't want like i don't want to um like do anything that could potentially get someone sick and therefore like spread it to 20 more people right yeah um and like that's just like something that i like like think about when i'm thinking about how i'm practicing safety during the pandemic yeah there's there's always like the truth is like somewhere in the middle right yeah like i'm sure that like um however uh however much i like think that i am like doing the right thing or like believing the right thing or like practicing the right thing. I'm sure that there's room for me to be wrong. Right. Um, and so like when I when I think about that, I think of okay, how does this impact this other person? Like how like what am I doing that is um potentially impacting um someone or potentially can make someone else sick? Um, whereas like, I don't really see that. I don't really see that argument a lot from people who are fundamentalists. And I, and, and Mm. when I use that word, 
like I say fundamentalist both for people who are fundamentalists on the right and on the left. Um, yeah. Because there is progressive fundamentalism, unfortunately. It is interesting. I, I'm always thinking of the cultures. Because um, sure. we talk about this, there being like a culture war, right? Well, maybe not we, but. Oh, I know about the pop. culture war, bro. I know about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> there's like, there's just, it comes up a lot. Um, mm. And I, I just like think like, this is like as bogus as the war on drugs, right? Yeah. Um, like there's not really a culture war happening. Um, there's people who, as much as they like to throw out the word snowflakes, um and like triggered and stuff like that like those people get triggered too um and they feel uh unsafe in a way that they are not willing to vulnerably say that they feel unsafe um mm, that's actually a really interesting point okay wow. so and that's just like the culture that i'm seeing is like it's not that people are different it's that people are internalizing different ways of moving throughout their culture. Um, and it's reinforced by the people that they're with because we've, we, with social media, we've just created giant echo chambers um, yeah. that we just kind of exist in all the time. Well, where I kept seeing the culture war the most was, you know, in being, I mean, you probably have some of this baggage from having been a professional Christian. Um, <laughs> right? That's like such an interesting way to put it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, ugh, tons of, I could talk about being a professional Christian forever. I mean, like, I mean, depending on how personal you want me to get, I have lots of stories about that, but um, even feel free just, to go wherever you want to go. Oof, well, I mean, I don't know. This, um, I don't want to make it too much about me. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, I went through. I had a hell of a. I, mean, I went through. Um, went through um, a big like a soul destroying leadership change um, in the church I was working for while I was going through a divorce. Um, and my former partner also is working in public ministry. And so like going through that as a professional Christian was just an absolute bitch. Yeah. Um, I can only imagine. Yeah, it was, I mean, the fact that I, I mean, I don't know, I'm pretty open about this now. It's probably going to be part of my freaking press release, but in August I got myopericarditis, which is an infection of the lining around your heart. Um, oh wow! It, it looks a lot like a heart attack, um, symptom wise. But when that happened to me, I was just like, "Yeah, no shit!" <laughs> like, my my body was just like, "Screw you! You are done, and yeah. you're you're taking a break." Um, because, um, yeah, something about being on the Lord's payroll is is tough. You know, I mean, um. I don't want to, again, like, I don't want to, I don't want to be unkind about it because I still have like ministers hitting me up to like come serve and do like, um, you know, I'll still probably do like contracted Sunday stuff for people, you know, it's fine. Mm -hmm. It's like a thing I know how to do and I know how to 
be nice. I like really tend to do great with like old folks too. And so it's great, you know, please the young people with the Sufjan vibe, please the old people with the James Taylor vibe and then you win. Right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, being a professional <laughs> Christian, like, and being more like open-minded, universalist leaning, more progressive, more full, you know, full of questions. And maybe even just being someone who doesn't primarily roll with Christians. Um, mm. It can it can get tough. I mean, um, even just when you don't speak the same ministry speak language, like people that work in have careers in ministry speak a language that I just don't speak. There's just kind of a layer of fluffy bullshit that I don't use. Um, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing that they do that, but it's just like I'm just much more like cut to the chase. You know, you're interacting with a human being, like, um, and I'm right here in front of you, right? Like, you can just interact with me. We don't have to um, lace this with pious language to, like, get through our huddle, you know? <laughs> um, and I think that some people, like, especially congregants, that are very comforted by that. And then some people are really not because they're just, like, inundated with this language. and. Um, that, that's where I kept running into the whole culture war thing. It was like people thinking, people just getting the wrong idea about me when they see me. Like, oh, isn't it interesting that this guy is like covered in piercings and tattoos and he looks so rock and roll, but he's one of us. So he's kind of like a spy, right? He's just doing this to fit in. <laughs> and like, he's trying to, he's like, he's not going to be part of the culture. Like he's fooling them to like sneak Jesus in there. And I'm like, no, I just got tattoos. Cause I think it's cool. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. trying to, I'm doing what I want guys. <laughs> like there's no agenda. <laughs> you know, it's really funny that you say that because I think what eventually led me away from the church and away from like the Christendom, like, christianese like all that kind of stuff is i felt like i was a spy in the church um oh my gosh me too keep talking yeah so like okay as i was you know uh getting into like rob bell vibes and like listening to like the liturgists like michael gunger and science uh, science mike mccarg um and richard rohr and like looking into like christian mystics like thomas merton and um like dorothy day and uh even like less like labeled but still like pretty radical um like progressive liberal christians like shane claiborne mm -hmm. um like i always felt like to a extent like to some extent i was like the person who is infiltrating Christian culture and needing to like inject something um, that was like going to save them or help bring something new um, or better or whatever. Wow. Um, get out of my head. <laughs> so I, I felt and, that yeah, for a long yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so for me, it just felt disingenuous and that's why um, I eventually left uh, this, the school that I went to, um, Olivet, which is a private Christian school. Um, 
So I left. Um, sorry. Uh, I left all of that. And then I also eventually left the like evangelical church that I was part of sure. because it just felt like the only reason that I was still part of that church was because I was doing something that was not for me. Um, oh, but it, it was buddy. for, it was like some like sense of urgency or some sense of, uh, almost like evangelism, but like, I was like evangelizing to the evangelists as a universalist. Right. Um, and it just felt, it felt wrong to me to, uh, like almost, uh, decrease my quality of life, um, and like be less of a whole person, uh, in order to, um, just be a dissenting voice, which oftentimes didn't even matter because, Whenever I offered a different point of view, it was usually not met with, um, like thoughtfulness. It was usually met with like Ooh. apprehension or defensiveness, and Dude. that was like, and like it wasn't like uh, malevolence. It was just how the culture was. Um, Dude, I can relate to this on so many levels. This is an okay time to interject. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so much of what you're saying, and also that, um, I mean, I had people cheering me on being like, okay, so you're like, how fascinating is it that you're like this, you know, I don't know, some shade of hipster or whatever. Like, you're this, like, you know, forward thinking, crunchy, tattooed musician who crunchy i'd I'd say i'd i I would like to crunchy than is indie or hipster or whatever like and 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 you're you know open-minded and and affirming and yeah um oh but you're catholic that that makes you super different and eventually i was just like oh who cares (laughs) like because that idea of being a dissenting voice like a lot of people say like oh like the war never gets won, you know, if the if the good guys put down their guns. And to me, I'm like, eventually you got to cut your losses and be healthy. Because what you were saying about being a dissenting voice, it's fascinating to me that that would be such a problem. Because in the Catholic Church, dissenting voices, dude, they do not like dissenting voices. What's fascinating to me is that in a Protestant tradition where the entire roots of your history are dissent, Mm-hmm. that dissent would be so discouraged and i mean that's the thing about to me that's just so sad and i mean and i can't tell you how many dinner conversations i've shut down with people being like why are young people leaving the church and i'm like yo <laughs> raising my hand like would you like to actually know and when i answer you just hear crickets and people look at me like i just like totally just dropped a grenade on the dinner table. What, like, what would be your answer to that? At the time, it was the, the false marriage between um, orthodoxy 
and political conservatism. Um, now I would say our young people in the church. I would say a few things. I think for one thing, a lot of them are just like, I mean, seeing, I mean, the, 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 the priest abuse scandal, like, mm-hmm. was the last straw for some, and actually a lot of people just like stayed, but stayed angry without actually wanting to like get why systemically this happened and how it's like deeply baked into our theology. Like, ugh, sorry, hold on. Let me slow down a second. Um, if I talk about the priest scandal, we will be here till tomorrow. Um, but I think for a lot of people, it's just like, they realize like that they think it's dumb to think that, um, there's anything wrong with gay people. And I think it probably comes down to like the LGBTQ community and control. Um, the Catholic, sorry, you skipped, you, uh, oh, and I cut out. Yeah, you cut out a little bit. Could you just repeat I, the last thing? I'd said? say the biggest things driving young people away are the church's stance on gay marriage and birth control, hands down. Gotcha. And yeah, yeah, yeah I see, I can see that for sure. Um, I feel like that was one of the first things that uh, really latched with me too, specifically. Well, if you actually get into a discussion with someone about, because Catholics love to use natural law for that stuff, but if you actually pull at natural law, the sweater falls apart really quickly, and people get really uncomfortable while you're challenging their views. I mean, yeah, and in the in the American Catholic Church, especially, there's like a huge like resurgence in fervency about the birth control issue. So, yeah, um, you know. I want to say it's really easy to say that like, oh, like the Catholic Church hates dissenting voices um, and like it's weird that like the Protestant, you know, uh, mm-hmm. church like hates dis- dissenting voices and um, that like it tends to be like more conservative people that hate dissenting voices. But I like, I really don't think it's a one-sided issue. I think that it's it it all comes down to that like fundamentalism right where like people um anyone who subscribes to a fundamentalism with with, within whatever their belief system is is going to hate a dissenting voice um yeah and like i definitely hear that because like even like with um like quote-unquote open-minded uh like hippie folk you know like I I could meet one person who like is truly open minded, who's truly like just like let people live and love and like don't um like don't get too caught up in like the world, man, you know. Um but I can also meet like super hippie, quote unquote, open minded people um who like will also turn on someone for uh basically having a different point of view of that open-mindedness like if you're not completely open-minded 
then you're doing something wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. But you know, it's funny because I just I just read a quote actually. Um, I keep leaning back because I'm in a comfy like den chair kind of thing that I can just like lean back in and it's making the audio worse probably. But um, anyway, uh, I just read an inst- on Instagram of all places. Um, someone posted this quote and they were like. I don't remember the context of it really, but they were basically just like, even the like most wise spiritual gurus get cranky about stuff. Oh yeah. And I was like, man, that's like so good for me to hear because it sometimes feels like an upward battle, uphill battle um, to get to a point where things don't, enrage me or like make me feel bitter or make me feel angry um and it it feels like freeing to be able to like you know be cranky about something um to be angry about something to like um not always be calm and peaceful but to know in the aftermath when i need to apologize or when i need to forgive Dude, that's a good one. That is good. And that's, I mean, to me, that that's like the culture of, that's like the real culture of grace, right? Mm. Like the the ability to make mistakes, but that don't define you. Um, and to be like freely given something that like maybe you don't deserve, which is, the opportunity to forgive or reconcile um, even in the face of something that, um, you know, the other person might have every right not to forgive you Um, or even, you know, to never receive forgiveness from someone that you've hurt, but like live in the grace that like, at least you are trying to make things better now. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I know you want to hear more. I really appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, This episode, uh, when we recorded it, ended up being a little bit longer than I felt it could fit into into just one episode. So, uh, with that said, in two weeks, you'll be able to hear the second part. Thank you again to Chris, uh, and we'll see you next time.